thanks for joining us for another episode of Chapter Chat. My good friend Mike from At Grow Now Therapy and I uh, are going to spend an hour or so, we seem to go over an hour a lot of times, uh, with you guys tonight and we are finishing up our book, Finish Lessons 2.0, which we have been talking about for the past six weeks. So um, let me get Mike on here. Let's see here. There we go. All right. So it is Monday, uh, our favorite day of the week. And um, there he is. Here we are. How are you? Very good. How about yourself? I am doing great. I am so excited. Our final chapter. It's a little, it's a little bittersweet. It kind of is. I've really enjoyed this book a lot. I, I have to say, though, Mike, that this chapter kind of got to me a little bit because it was kind yeah. of like this big lead up to look Finland look we have this great you know education plan and then this chapter is like hey hold your horses because times are changing and yep yep, yep. um so did you kind of feel the same way that it was kind of like oh we uh, huh like you know they're still yeah 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 and and that was almost sort of refreshing uh, that they see that they did this incredible thing. Right. They turned their entire education system around, uh -huh. but they're still looking towards the future. They see that technology's on the rise. They yep. see that people are changing, the culture's changing. So they're what can we- more and more diverse in Finland. And more so diverse, which is that... huge. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's, just, it's fascinating that this book, I am so happy we did this book early on in the chapter chat. Yeah. It's our, just yeah. our second book. Because this book really just shows you that change is possible. So and what I love, Mike, is, you know, yeah. at the beginning of every chapter, there's like a quote. And yep. I'm telling you this quote, in case you weren't able to read the chapter, if you're just kind of hanging out with us and letting us fill you in, um, it, it, the chapter starts, um, a good hockey player plays where the puck is. A great hockey player plays where the puck is going to be. And that is from Wayne Gretzky, of course. But I think that is the issue here. And and the author, um, Passy Salberg, he yep. has said over and over in this book, don't try to copy what Finland has done, okay? There is no other country that can do it exactly like Finland has been able to do this. And um, so one of the things that he talked about is, you know, when we look at what what the rest of the world can take from this book, right? What the rest of the world can take from what Finland has done is that you have to not you have to look at two things and one is you have to look at what is um good for your nation right what is good yep. for your people not necessarily what has worked for other countries but then you also have to look at international successes so it's kind of like this combination of you have to maintain and really consider your own culture and then you have to look at what is working uh, across you know other nations and there's always improvement to be made you know because yeah, yeah. because education is in the hands of the teachers and not the government or politicians, the teachers are able to shape the curriculum and the schools for their yeah. students, the ones with the intensive training. Uh, and I just, I, that was just such a breath of fresh air to read about this. Yeah. And, and the way that like, they're talking about the future of the Finland dream and the Finnish dream and what they wanna do to individualize education more mm -hmm. and take it outside of the classroom and not make it just about academics uh, right. And, and uh, I was just on an IEP today about a student who 
uh, stay, is staying with the school past graduation. He already walked, oh. but he's staying on his IEP for transition services. And it was really difficult having a conversation with this school staff about, uh, you know, helping this student be job ready and college ready. Because everything about these IEPs were getting so ingrained, everything has to be academics. Everything oh. has to be accessing the curriculum. But uh -huh. we, we, we forget all the time that, you know, IEPs have transition services. IEPs do life skills as well. And there's actually been a couple of court cases from like due processes where uh, uh, it's, it's argued in favor of the family who have argued that schools are responsible for behavior in the home and social in the home. So, really? yeah. So, so it, it's, it's, it's really fascinating how, you know, we, here in America, we have such an emphasis on academics, right. uh, but Finland is looking towards the future and they're, they're looking where the puck is going to be, of course. That's right. right. And they're thinking about how can we make sure that after school is done, paraschoola is done, right. how can we make sure that these individuals are contributing to society? And they are healthy, positive citizens of our country that's going to help our economy. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's really amazing that they're looking big picture, overall and, big picture. And that's what's huge. And I will tell you, this came up in, I think, probably every chapter. And I think yeah. it came up in the first book that we did as well, that No Child Left Behind um, mm -hmm. is in stark contrast to the Finnish way. And so on page 187, he brought that up yet again. And I just think that... It is just what, what, what this author is trying to get us to do is to look at what we need in order to, you know, when we talk about education reform, what is it? Because in America, what uh, we tend to do is think education reform is about throwing money at, yes. at the education system, which as we read in our first book, um, uh, you know, NASA poured a million dollars into one of the um, uh, most struggling school districts or uh, schools in uh, the Chicago area. And that million dollars serves zero purpose because their their outcomes were no better. So um, I, I just think it's fascinating. On one page one eighty four is um, the two things that the author said that makes Finland, you know, be able to have success is because there is strong equity in Finnish schools. Mm -hmm. Equity mm -hmm. is a word that comes up over and over. It's it's um, important for all children to learn, not just um, it can't be the haves versus the have nots. But the other thing he talks about is. We, they, they really look at um, not just repeatedly allocating money to implement new reforms. So he says, just stop throwing money at it and think that this is a money problem because it's so much more than a money problem. Exactly. And, and th this term equity is, of course, a very emotional word here in America, much more than it would be in Finland. There's a lot right. of emotions tied to the term equity because a lot of things in America are not fair based okay. on your gender based on your race and all of these things, there really isn't overall equity. It's not really, you know, all men are created equal all the Which time. Which is of why, course. Mike, parents have to move to a different school district, right? Yeah. We've talked over yeah. and over about how school choice is something that everybody wants to fight for in America. Well, uh, my neighborhood school isn't good enough because, you know, yep. um, I live in a certain part of town. So I need to either spend money and pay tuition and send my child to a private school or a charter school, or we need to look at moving. In Finland, because they are so um, uh, um, passionate about equitable education, every single neighborhood school is as high quality as the one on the other street corner. So there is no yeah. need for parents to look 
for high quality schooling. And I will tell you, I think that's when we'll know we've made an impact here in the United States when um, the wealthy stop sending their kids to private schools, when they, when everybody starts accessing public education. That's when we'll know that we have truly um, affected change in our um, public education system. Yeah, and, and because this term equity is such a buzzword here in this country, people probably hear equity in education and they think, oh, that's never going to happen because people are b born and raised here to learn that, okay, inner city schools, not so good. Wealthy suburban schools, really good. But the thing that we have, the thing that we can learn from Finland is it's not about money. It's not about finances. Here in America with our capitalist nature, our, even our schools are about how much money they have and how much right. funding they have. But which Finland, makes them competitive, right? Which makes them competitive, exactly. But a Finland has proven to us overall that equity in schools is about getting rid of all of this testing because when he talks about no child left behind, he's talking about schools getting this label of a low-performing school, a high-performing school, and all of this accountability. And he even, like, I had to underline it and look again, he even refers to no child left behind as perverse, he says yeah. the per the perverse nature of no child left behind. He talks about this, and it's and you think about it, and we look at it all these years later. Started in two thousand two, it it really did more harm than good. And it Absolutely. talks about it talks about the unethical behaviors that came from it. More student cheating. Student cheating was on the rise. Oh, administrators uh, cheating. It, and administrators cheating. Yeah. It's 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 unbelievable. Long Island, where I'm from, I know that was a huge thing of 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 numbers getting fuds just so you're not labeled a low performing school because schools and administrators are under just as much pressure as these students. So That's there's right. there's anxiety for the workers and there's anxiety for the students. So it's not equity in the term of you know we're always thinking about equity in the haves and the have nots. Right, right. It's not we take the money out of school. Right. We pay our teachers well, and we have the teachers run the schools. It's right. as simple as that. It's not about having a million-dollar NASA science lab. It's no. not about having the best, the best te textbooks or the best smart boards or anything like that. Finland has showed us that we can take the money out of schools and give our children uh, – how, like, how much does it cost for the kids to meet with their counselors tw twice a week and, right. for and for counseling – to be right. part of the of the curriculum and yeah, for, for you know for all of this. Know this yeah in in finland um once they get to upper secondary so like ninth tenth eleventh you know that what we consider high school here they have two hours a week of counseling and like um vocational guidance two hours a week for every student and that's like that's mandatory that's not something yeah. that's optional and uh, we just think about what what a lot of our you know, school counselors do in this country, they help with scheduling. Oh, you have a scheduling conflict? Oh, call your school counselor, call your guidance counselor, and they'll help you, right? So I just think that Finland has done so many things right. Mike, before you move on, I just want to read this paragraph on one, page 177 that talks yep. about the problem with competition, okay? The key message of this book is that schools in competition-rich environments are stuck in a tough educational dilemma. The way forward requires brave new thinking about the process of schooling. The current culture of, I love this term, toxic accountability. It. Toxic accountability in the public sector as it is employed in England, North America, and many other parts of the world often threatens school and community social capital. It damages rather than supports trust. 
As a consequence, teachers and school leaders are no longer trusted. Mm. There is a crisis of suspicion, okay? Although the pursuit of transparency and accountability provides parents and politicians with more information, it also builds suspicion, low morale, and professional cynicism. I mean, this author really just brings it home, you know? That word toxic is very powerful. Very, very powerful. And we really think about it, you know, the education system in this country has become toxic. With the, way that, with the way that we've taken early childhood. It starts it, in early childhood. It starts yeah. in early childhood, and that's what it is. It's, it's, you talk about Finland, and of all the things about Finland, like I, I, I take little tidbits from this. So, of mm -hmm. course, my favorite thing is the twice-a-week counseling. And my second thing is that these kids love to read. And these kids and love they school. Love to learn. And they, they love to learn. School. So they look forward to it. They love it. They have student choice. And these kids are reading. And we have a massive illiteracy problem in this country. Yep. And it's, it's really amazing how, like, I've always talked about how we've created an, an environment that fosters anxiety. So okay. education today fosters anxiety. Like, uh, most people look at school and think, I don't want to go. Right. It's too much it's, work. Yep. It's not fun. It's I'm not comfortable. It's I'm not, not safe. Relevant. It, it, there you go. And that's, and so we've created a toxic educational environment for kids. And that's, and that's what I love about this book so much is this author does not pull any punches. No, he's straight no. up, he straight up says North America, England, many other parts of the world, what you guys have done with your government funding into education, what you guys have done with this cognitive hypothesis into the global education reform movement, what you guys have done is you have created a toxic environment. Right, because the schools are in competition. Oh, you want the highest amount of funding? Then you have to be a school that leaves no child behind. So he gave the example in here where um, if even one student in your school is not reading at grade level, you are a low proficiency school. So you then get, so how could there be any high proficiency schools then? Because I'm sorry, in every school, there are going to be students who are struggling readers, right? You're never going to get rid of struggling readers. But in Finland, what? Guess what? Special education is something all children have access to. You don't have to score poorly on a test to receive extra support in Finland. You do not have to be failing. You do not have to be two and a half standard deviations below oh, the mean to receive special services in Finland. Whereas in our country, and I know we've talked about this before, but it's something Mike and I are very passionate about. In this country, we wait for failure. So we are yep. reactive instead of proactive. Yep. We do not look at, ooh, let's make sure that every child is functioning at their highest ability. We say, oh, well, he's not failing enough yet. We'll just let him fall further before we can offer him any special supports. And I, I just, there's something about that that seems very, very wrong. So, so what was that again? So it was, it was an, an earlier chapter that they talked about early intervention and those sorts of things. They mm -hmm. don't do, they don't do prevention they do, what was it? Do you remember? Well, it was that they're, they're not reactive. Oh. They try to be preventative. No, you know, they, do, they, 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 they do prevention. We do yeah. repair. Yeah, we so, do repair. Yes. We're so that's what it was. Right, yeah. We're very reactive. Like, yep. oh, whereas like we know. I mean, we have so much research in our field of speech language pathology that children with speech sound disorders, um, a huge majority of them are going to be struggling readers. It shouldn't Correct. be a surprise to anybody that if your child needs speech therapy to, you know, for articulation or for apraxia or has difficulty with their speech intelligibility, there should be no surprise to anybody that they're going to be struggling readers. So knowing that, why wouldn't our education 
education system say um, children who are in speech therapy automatically get extra supports in reading? Why wouldn't that just be automatic across the board? Why wouldn't we say these students automatically qualify? It doesn't matter um, if we, we don't have to test them. And that's what I love about Finland is they say, forget the testing. And for those of you who are concerned about the lack of testing, we're talking about a lack of high stakes standardized testing. Here is what teachers are responsible for in Finnish schools. Teachers are responsible for the overall assessment of their students using a mix of diagnostic, formative, performance, and summative assessments, okay? So it's not that they don't assess their students to make sure they're learning. Of course they do. What they don't do is administer the Iowa test of basic skills. Thank or, you, you know, thank those, you. Those yep. high stakes testing yep. that says compares this child in this school yep. to um, a, a whole bunch of other kids in different school districts. And that's what this doesn't do. Because again, America is competitive. We actually rank our schools. Oh, what state do you live in? Oh, what's your mm. number one ranked school district? So there's this huge um, competition uh, within states about you know which school does your kid go to and i don't care if you go to the best public school somebody's going to go to a private school that's going to outrank you right so that's true yeah hierarchy whereas in finland they don't have there are no public there are no private schools everybody goes to public educate you know to public schools because they have a dang good public education system so there isn't a need to create competition the collaboration that is encouraged between schools and between teachers is something we can only dream of in this country i mean i just cannot fathom where schools work together um, and teachers work together like they like they do there and remember mike and i know i'm blabbing but remember in one of the chapters we read that um finnish teachers actually spend the least number of hours per week teaching teaching yeah so yeah. much time mm -hmm. built in for collaboration and for planning and for writing curriculum so guess what finnish teachers aren't as burnt out as american teachers because they're not spending all of their you know time at school actually teaching they they teach the fewest number of minutes of any teacher in the world so there's so many fascinating things about uh finnish education Yeah, he actually talks about this. So the, the, the final part of the chapter is what he's saying is what are some of the ideas that Finland's going to do in the years to come? And the number one thing he says is less classroom-based teaching. I Le love that. Less teaching can actually lead to more student learning if the circumstances are right and the solutions are smart. Those correct circumstances include trust in schools, adequate support and guidance for all students, and a curriculum that can be locally adjusted to meet the interest and requirements of local communities. So Mike, less classroom-based teaching, unbelievable. Let's talk about the word flexible, adaptable. You know, you and I are so big into talking about, um, you know, executive function skills. And yep. one of the big things that we talk about is the ability to be flexible, to be resilient, to be persistent. But to me, adaptability is the sign of, uh, of of an education system that has the potential to be great. And yep. that is why our next book that we're going to be reading, um, book number three, I, I'm so pumped because it is called Most Likely to Succeed, Preparing Our Kids for the Innovation Era. So I am me, so is, excited. I, I mean, you would have thought we like planned out the order of these books because it's really, we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're like, hey, let's read this book next. But Mike, on page 177 <laughs> is where he kind of starts about successful educational reform. And yep. this is not a new concept, but I just want our listeners to hear this. A typical feature of education in Finland is the way teachers and students are encouraged, are you ready for this? To try new ideas and methods, learn from innovations and cultivate creativity in schools. It's pretty hard to cultivate creativity in the 
lecture and learn. What do you call it, Mike? The lecture and lecture, listen, lecture, listen, model, model, right? That's lecture, listen. That's how our um, our education system is really uh, based here in the United States. Is lecture, listen, lecture, listen. Sit still, don't move. He's so fidgety today. Um, Oh, you're fidgeting. You don't get recess. We're going to deny you the ability to self-regulate by taking away recess. You know, we have all these bizarre things that we do in this country that Finland is like, um, excuse me, because for every 45 minutes, our students are in a classroom. They must have 15 minutes of outdoor time. That's what Finland says. And the United States is like, no, we think wait recess is a waste of time, right? Oh, we want to give kids the option for indoor recess. And then they choose to play on their iPads. So we're good with that. So there, I mean, all we do is encourage more and more dysregulation in, in our, um, you know, push for more academics, the cognitive hypothesis and taking away play right? Not just in the early years, but taking away recess, denying um, the freedom to move. um, And and really, we're starting to deny the freedom to think, the freedom to be creative, the crea, the, um, you know, that's what we're really starting to deny our students. Um, And uh, I think that that's where we're going to really start to see a problem for our future, because I think it's pretty safe to say we have problems in this country. And um, (laughs) we can't keep putting the same types of political, you know, politicians in office and thinking Correct. the problems are going to go away. Correct. Right. So we're going to have to make some pretty significant changes if we want our humongous problems in this country to start yep. to resolve. So it's going to take innovative, creative thinkers. Maybe it's going to take some neurodivergent thinkers. People yeah, who yeah. think um, wow. inside wow. this box. Do you see what I'm saying? I think Very well do. said. And, and yes. that is why one of my big movements as a parent of an autistic child is I am so much about um, encouraging people to recognize that neurodivergent people, whether it's ADHD, autism, that neurodivergent people, um, are that it's a valid way of being human, right? You can be autistic and, 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 and still be a contributing member of society. So we don't need to, what we want to do is look at your skill set. And if you're detail oriented and, you know, I, we want to, we want to find, we want to look at your talents. We want to look at your, your strengths. We want to look at your interests. We want to look at your passions. And then we want to be like Finland and say, oh, let's put you up with a guidance counselor two hours a week. And let's figure out a path for you that is based on your strengths. Instead of saying, oh, we need to focus on your weaknesses. We need to correct your weaknesses. You know, well, we all have weaknesses, but let's talk about a strength-based mm-hmm. model, right? Wouldn't that be an interesting way to look at education? Instead of saying we need to fix deficits all the time. That is actually what you just said, super freaking fascinating. That's, a, seriously, oh, look, look th- my, think, think about that. Say, can you read think, it? It uh, says, I'm one glass away from saying something brilliant. So, well, you just said so. That was that's. A, think about that. Think about that. We truly are going to need some neuro. Like this system is so broken, and yep. kids are, you know, uh, child depression, child anxiety. Uh, all these things are at all time highs. The, this the cognitive hypothesis germ. All of this stuff is is becoming a major issue. Play is disappearing. You know, yep. quote unquote, Carrie Ebert. Play is disappearing. But imagine if we had some neurodivergent thinkers making some changes in our education system. That's quite fascinating because you always think, because Posse did an amazing job talking about how Republicans screwed up our education, (laughs) Democrats screwed up our education, independents screwed up our education. It doesn't matter as long as, as, unless you have a master's in education and unless you've been a teacher unless you've worked in a school, unless you work with students, 
then you shouldn't be doing education law, period. Let's get some, no. neuro, let's get some neurodivergent thinkers in there to yeah. think outside the box. That was 100% brilliant. And, yeah. you were, and you were talking before about how, uh, yes, teachers do their own assessments, but they're not doing the Iowa thing. They're not doing the self. Yeah. They're not doing the castle. No. They're using their own expertise to say who needs extra help right. and who doesn't, who needs individualized care and who doesn't. And one thing that really stood out to me was on page 178, one accomplishment of the Finnish education system that is often overlooked is the especially high level of reading literacy. Yes. So that right there, that right there is hand in hand with a good education system. Yep. If there's high literacy, you're in a good system, period. Because every subject, right? Everything like, is, everything's literacy. Science, whether it's uh, history, economics, everything is based in education on literacy, which includes reading and writing, right? Those two things yep. consist of literacy. I think most people think of literacy as reading, but writing is, um, a, is a component of literacy. And so literacy needs to be at, at the top of everybody's game, but that doesn't mean we should have four-year-olds writing sentences while sitting at a table with a number two pencil. So I- Has to be learn. age and brain appropriate. Right. Has to be. Brain appropriate, yeah. Yep. And, 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 and what a coincidence. And what yeah, a coincidence right. that literacy, reading comprehension, and written expression are the two academic tasks that require the most executive functioning. Isn't that something? What do you know? What do you know? Because executive function, if you were to ask Mike, what is the number one thing we really need to focus on more um, in our speech therapy sessions, in education, and we're talking about starting in early childhood education all the way up through, you know, uh, secondary education, it is establishing, strengthening uh, executive function skills, yep. right? So, and and um, all, all executive functioning starts with? Play. Play. Internal well, language. Internal well, language. But what facet of internal oh. language? What facet? Nonverbal working oh, memory. Oh, working all memory. executive. So all oh all executive functioning starts with visual imagery and nonverbal working memory. So think about it. When you're reading, what do you have to do? You have, you have to imagine. Which you, you have to make. When you watch a movie when you're you have, a video game. You be, don't have visual imagery because all of it's right there in front of you. Oh, there you go, Mike. And you think about that's why. When we read books for toddlers, right? Yep. They have pictures in them. But as you yep. get older, they remove the pictures. They Why? remove the pictures so you can make your own. Strengthen your executive function and your language skills yep. by being able to create that mental image. Isn't and, it fascinating? And what's one of the best things for kids is wordless picture books for Word some of the young kids. Yep. That's and one of the I best things. Those. I have a whole in my Amazon store, I have a whole section on wordless picture books yep. because, yep. and we should be using those with middle schoolers, high schoolers, um, because it's fascinating to me. If you really want to do, if you're an SLP, speech language pathologist, and you really want to do just a really quick informal assessment of uh, language skills, just have them tell you a story about a wordless picture book. Because yeah. I'm telling you the yeah. deficits, the struggles, the strengths, all of that is going to show up instantly because you can't fake it with a wordless picture book you absolutely absolutely cannot. absolutely so, and, and it'll be fascinating you'll you'll have a kid that has straight a's ap classes yep, all yep. these things put yep. a wordless put a wordless picture book in front of them they're giving you two word sentences yeah they're like it's fascinating it's a dog and you're like yep. yeah what else can you tell me yep. it's a big dog you're like are yep. we are, are we like you you just start to question you're like wait that's yep. really all you've got Right. Yep. The other thing that I can't even remember, I read this because I've been reading so much about executive function skills now uh, lately, is that 
um, asking like, like my son, who's autistic, who has significant struggles with executive function, but asking him to describe like his room, describe a scene yep. because he has to first visualize it before you put it into words. And my son can't do that. You'll be like, tell me what, um, you know, your science classroom looks like. And he'll be like, it's, um, you know, it's Mrs. Anderson. And I'm like, well, no, I know who the teacher is. Tell me what it looks like. And he's like, it's room 408 or whatever. He like, yeah, it's the facts. To me. So it's I'm like, the facts. Yep. Oh, oh, yep. okay. Okay. So it's really, even though my son, I mean, my son is 16 and I feel like we've missed the boat on a lot of things, but it's just really helpful for me to recognize the things we can do now that I understand better. Have you heard of this book? Has an, what's it called? The Declarative oh. Language Handbook by Linda Murphy. Okay, speech and language pathologist. She is absolutely amazing. This is a great handbook for all parents of kids with executive functioning delays. This is a great, great way to change the way you use language in the home instead of saying, hey, how was your day? Right. You find different ways to say, how, how did your day look? What do you want your day to look like tomorrow? You find different ways to change the language you use in the I home to really, because a, a lot of the questions we ask our kids, like, like, like for example, us as speech pathologists give uh, a lot of language samples. Right. And that's a great way to learn about MLU and TTR and those sorts of things. I remember when I was first a speech pathologist, I was doing a language sample and I realized I was asking a lot of questions that really only, it was a lot of yes, no questions. And right. it was a lot of like, you know, one or two word answers. So right. I was not getting a true understanding of this child's mean length of utterance or type token right. ratio or anything like that. You have to ask open-ended questions that get kids to think. And right. that's when you get a good understanding of their executive functioning yep. and their language. So that's like, really, really thought. fascinating. I think maybe um, we've got our next couple of books picked, but we may have to actually do that. Would that be a good book club book? Do something. This is a club? this is a great great book, and I'm sure Linda Murphy would love to join us. A fellow well, SLP, she's amazing. That. I'm going to order yeah. it when we get done, and let me take uh -huh. a look at it. But um, let it's us a, know. It's, it's a I quick mean, little. It's a tiny little yeah, book. Yeah, that would be quick. But Make it's really really good. If you would, if you'd be interested in actually going over the declarative language handbook, um, I don't know how many of you are SLPs on here. But um, even as a parent, I mean, I serve two roles. I'm a parent of a child with, uh, you know, executive dysfunction, and um, I'm also an SLP. So I would certainly be fascinated in that. So if you have any comments or thoughts, make sure you put them in the in the comments there. Um, uh, and because... and what and what you were describing uh, for your son is that's literally what I deal with every single day. So like for example, like a, a child comes to me. And I do a, little, do a little bit of diagnostic therapy to learn about their visual imagery right. and their self-talk. And what, what do I love so much about executive functioning is when a new kid comes to me, I don't have to give them the self. I don't have to give them all, all of these things. I want to ask reflexive questions and use declarative language to learn about their visual imagery and their self-talk. And I'm asking them about what did their, what did their day look like? What was their science room look like? Those sorts of things. And the way I describe it to parents is... Uh, when kids first come to me, their visual imagery system is either just unbelievably weak where I can't really get any information, or it's just a bunch of facts, like right. rote knowledge facts, That's or, or it's just like a, a basic Google image picture, just like, like uh, oh, you're going to the supermarket, and it's like you type in supermarket, and that's the picture, and that is not going to help anybody. Yeah. Visual, mental movies have to be things you can touch, things you can feel, things you can sense. You have so to be able to, you, you have to, you, you have to, and you have to see yourself. 
So like, so you can say, oh, I'm going to plan to go to the store. But if you just have a Google image picture of a store, that's not planning. You're not planning to go to the store. You have to see yourself going into the store, going up to the aisles. Uh, you know, might forget something. You have to see yourself moving in time and space. And this is the gesturing that we talked about, the yeah. being able to move through time and space. Right. And that's visual imagery. And what I love about this book so much is they completely correlate positive educational system, high literacy rates. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's amazing. And, and the, the one thing I was focusing on here on 178 is reading instruction in schools is based on individual development and pace rather than standardized See? instruction. Here and we go again. And if, if I go another day as an SLP hearing about Wilson and, and uh, Orton Gillingham and all of these things that you have to get extra certified in, you have right. to pay money to get extra certified. Yep. First of all, you are a speech and language pathologist and you have a relationship with that student. You can do a couple of wordless picture books. You can do a couple of books. You can ask a couple, a couple of questions. Because I'm telling you right now, Orton, Gillingham, Wilson have nothing to do with visual imagery. And if there's wow. no visual imagery, you are not improving executive functioning, period. So it's, it's unbelievable how much, not only do we use standard scores and give all these kids numbers and labels to define them, but we're acting like teachers have to use specific programs. Right. It's right. unbelievable. This is the commercialism of our country, though, that everybody thinks, yep. you know, I'm an apraxia specialist. And people are like, oh, well, what program do I need to buy? And I'm like, you don't. You just need to understand the principles of motor learning so Thank that you, you can embed those strategies into whatever it is the child is interested in. But everybody wants like a cookbook. Everybody wants like a, a system, if you will. Declarative exactly. language handbook. So um, By Linda Murphy. I want to comment, and there she though, is right said, there. As an SLP who, you know, we are skilled professionals and you should be able to do an informal assessment like a couple wordless picture books. It reminds me of how in Finland, what did they say? They said, we don't do standardized testing, but it doesn't yep. mean we don't assess children. Assessment to me is different from like a test. An assessment is an ongoing process, right? To really figure out what the strengths and what the challenges are. So you should be able to use, because you're a highly skilled, highly educated professional, you should be able to use whatever measures you deem um, appropriate for this student, right? Because that would go back to um, professional autonomy, which is what they do in Finland. They give professional autonomy to the teachers. And yep. I think it's um, you know, just absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. So, so uh, my good friend Lisa's here. Thank you so much for coming, Lisa. Uh, she, she's mentioning here, apraxia is not recognized and taught to SLPs in our schools. So Carrie highlighted that beautifully is you have to understand the principles of motor learning. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of SLPs simply don't specialize in and understand. But if you do understand motor learning and you do work with the student where they're at, that the biggest, like, like, I'm so much, I'm basically a language therapist at this point. And like, when I tell my friends, what do I do? They're like, oh, you do this, you do that. I'm basically a language therapist. I'm uh -huh. an internal language therapist. That's the way yep. I describe it. But I love my apraxia students because, uh -huh. because you see progress so quickly. And so many of them you are the right approach. You absolutely yes. should yeah. be. Yeah. You, see, yeah. So you see great progress. And so many of them have such strong receptive language skills yes, yep, so yep, you can yep. you can you can use these prompts and they follow it 
uh, and you know they can write things down if their if their intelligibility is low and in the communication they you, you it's all about there you go it's all about tailoring to the unique individual yeah. uh, and and that's a, my apraxia book I just have yep. to plug it in case yep. anybody is interested yeah yeah apraxia and, is my uh, my real love but I will tell you executive functioning is becoming just a huge passion of mine as well because the more I learn about it the more I'm like wow, we've been missing the boat for a really long time. I've been an SLP for 26 years and I'm just now learning about executive function. What's going on, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and the fact that language and executive functioning are like, they, they connect, like you can't separate them out. They develop together. And if you have, um, you know, a weakness in one area, you're guaranteed to have weakness in the other area. So I'm like, why, you know, this is to me just a, tra a, a travesty that our field is um, you know not really um, being taught about executive functions at the grad so, school. So 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 here's the way to think about it. And Allison Moulton loves loves your book, of course. Thank so you. here here's here's the way to think about it. And and Dr. Russell Barkley, who's my who's the worldwide leader on ADHD. So obviously we know that internalized speech is when executive functioning happens between the ages of five to seven. What you say starts to control what you do. The internal voice, the Vygotskyan model. When, when, vo when language goes from external to internal is the beginning of self-regulation and the beginning of it. And we talk about why, is, why are speech and language pathologists doing executive functioning? How is language and speech hand in hand with executive functioning? Why? And Dr. Russell Barkley highlights it. So we know it's internal speech that is the foundation of executive functioning, but you can't talk to someone else and talk to yourself at the same time. You can't do it. You, I, I can't talk to you and right. have an internal dialogue with myself at the same time. Why? Why can't I do that? Because it's the same damn system. That's, how, that's what he says. The exact same parts of the wow. brain that I'm using right now to talk to you are the exact same. So the way he describes it, and this is fascinating. So you can, like, it, when I'm talking to my brain, when I'm talking to myself and having an internal dialogue, uh, my face, like, I, I, you can't tell. So when someone's talking to themselves, you can't look at them and say that person's talking to themselves. Right, right. But, but if you take little electrodes all over the face and all over the, all over the larynx, it will pick up on the slightest little movement. Isn't when that you're, amazing? When you're sit, when you're, when you're, you can be sitting there like this, talking to yourself, and the electrodes will pick up the movements of what you're saying to your brain. So all the things that speech therapists do to help people communicate with their language and their speech, we have to now teach kids to take that language and speech that we're strengthening and bring it inward. And it's the same, it's, it's the same thing with visual imagery. So you can put those same electrodes on an athlete's arm and have him visualize throwing a ball. And, and all he has to do is visualize it. And those electrodes are going to pick up the same muscle movements as if he really did throw the ball. So, um, and it's, there you go. And it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. So speech and language pathologists are the masters of speech and language. Well, guess what? There's internal speech and language too, and it's the same part of the brain. Just amazing, you know? And this is why I say we are so far away from figuring out really how to adequately support our kids with language impairment, right? Because yep. we're not addressing it through the executive function lens. So um, it, yeah, there's it, so it, much yeah. to learn and so much to, to work on. Um, getting back to the book real quick, Mike, I wanted to say you were talking about something on page 178. I'm curious if you have this highlighted or not at the bottom of page 178. 
It says new school buildings are always designed in collaboration with teachers and the architects, and they are oh, thereby, yeah. thereby adapted to the teaching and learning needs of specific communities. Can you imagine if they went to teachers and said, hey, we're getting ready to build a new elementary school or we're getting ready to build a new high school. Um, how would you like the classroom set up? Where would you like oh. the gymnasium, you know, in comparison? Where would you, what would you like your speech therapy room to look like? Because we're not gonna put you in a closet anymore, school-based SLP. We're curious, um, you know, what you would like your, your uh, learning space to look like for your students. Can you imagine? If that happened, I, I the sad thing is, is that I just can't even I can barely even imagine that happening. Uh, there, there's been some school districts around here that have built new high schools and have and have redeveloped and those sorts of things. And I feel like it's just the donors that are saying oh. how it needs to be built. And you know, yeah. it's it's the, these millionaires. It, there you go, Callie. It would yeah, be a yeah. dream. It's it's it's. I, I, it's so sad that I can't even picture that happening, that somebody would respect a teacher's opinion enough, yeah. enough to do that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, and it's, yeah. and w everything that Finland does, and the number one thing, you, like I've said it before, you measure progress by what's happening to these kids when they leave school. America, we highlight it, we lead the world in college dropouts. These yep. kids are becoming productive members of society because Finland doesn't just focus on academics. They're right. focusing on, you know, teachers using their creativity. And the number one thing that uh, we definitely have to talk about is basically he's talking about, you know, what's the future of Finland education? He says right here, the purpose of schooling is to find your talents. You're kidding. Find That's exactly what I was just going to say to you right there. There you go. That is so huge, Mike, is page 197 is where I have it written that help yep. all students find their talent and their passion. That's one thing. And the second thing is we need to make sure students are willing to take risks and fail. And yes. Mike, that sounds like you talking, yes. right? Because yep. you've done even social yep. media posts about parents. Let your children fail. Stop yep. doing things for them. Allow them to do something and fail because there's no other way to build resiliency. And so what Finland, what you know, this author is saying without even using the term executive function, I don't even think he uses it one time nope. in this book, but nope. he is talking about, number one, the big thing is it should be individualized, right? Individualized learning plan. That's what they do, right? It's, 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 it's uh, individualized so that uh, every student finds their passion. I said it earlier, every student, they need to find their dream. They need to find what they're good at, what gives them their brain tingles, right? Whatever gives you your brain tingles right now, this is what gives Mike and I our brain tingles, right? Hell yeah. We love um, analyzing, reading, and you know, sharing it with you guys. But we need to make sure that we are we are figuring out what every student um, is passionate about and where their talents lie. Instead of saying every student is going to take the same curriculum, regardless of what your interests are, right? We're just gonna we want to keep you all on the on the straight and narrow. We don't want anybody getting creative on us. We don't want anybody being an innovator on us, right? Um, and so uh, it's just amazing to me that. Finland says, no, 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 we want students to be willing to take risks and we want them to be able to fail and to bounce back and try it again a different way. That creativity, that flexibility and thinking, that's what we need here in the States. Well, we used that incredibly powerful word earlier. That word was toxic, period. And I, I'm, I can think of all the kids I work with in the schools right now, and I can't, and I can't think of a single time any of them when school made them feel good. Think about that. Think about right. the kids you think about the kids you work with and think about the kids, you know, think about your own kids for a second, everyone who's here right now. When's the last time school 
made them feel good about themselves. Think about that. Think yeah. about that for a second. And, and there's no way kids are going to take risks because in the schools that they're in, they're going to play it safe so they can yep. get the good grade and keep everything cool and calm. So right. that's the thing. So Finland is making kids feel good about themselves so that they're comfortable taking risks. Because what, what builds executive functioning? First of all, varied experiences. Varied but, experiences. But, but what does it take to build varied experiences? What does Harvard Center talk about? Is you have to have committed, loving relationships. So if you, and outside of the family. So when a student goes to school and they feel comfortable with their teachers, comfortable with their speech and language pathologists, comfortable around their peers, all of right. those things, they're going to be more comfortable to take risks in learning. And it's those risks that are going to teach them way more than any lecture listen is going to. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. There's just so many great things, you know, in this chapter. I'm looking at, you know, I don't know. Do you know much about John Dewey? Um, on page 203, they talk about um, you know, John Dewey um, dreamed of the teacher serving as a guide to help children formulate questions and devise solutions. Dewey saw the pupil's own experience, not information imparted by the teacher as the critical path to understanding. I'm like, whoever John Dewey is, like, I need to learn a little more about this guy because he sounds like he's brilliant. And that's yeah. what the Finnish way is really based on. And um, I, I love this. What the world can learn from educational change in Finland is that creating a good and equitable education system for all children is possible, but it takes the right mix of ingenuity, time, patience, and determination. And the other thing that I thought was brilliant that he said was, look, in Finland, we still, you know, we, we have changes we need to make, right? Because we're in the in, in innovation era and we have changes we need to make. But he said, we do not call it education reform in Finland. He said, we talk about it as um, uh, education uh, renewal. He said, we need to go back and we need to remember our morals, our values, you know, what drives our culture. So I like how he talks about it as a renewal, as going in and saying, okay, things have changed. The world is a different place than it was, you know, in 2010 and 2011. So how are we going to move forward and affect change and still maintain, you know, our cultural, you know, values? And, and, and so I just, I, I don't know, there, there's so much that is so good about this chapter that really made me, made me think. And how about, so, and what, what really impresses me is what we said before, how they're looking at big picture and they're looking towards the future. On page 199, he says straight up, in the future, people will spend more time on and give more personal attention to media and communication technologies than they do today. From an educational point of view, this means two things. First, people will generally spend less time together in a concrete social setting. Right. It's, almost, it's almost like this guy predicted the pandemic. Yeah, he so, did. So, social interaction will be based on using social networks and other future tools that rely on digital technical solutions. And he even says earlier on page 198, personalization of education doesn't mean replacing teachers with yes. technology oh. with technology. So there I you go. It. So being aware, number one, so basically what he's trying to say is, is that kids are going to be coming to school with less social experiences. Right. People don't meet up at the mall anymore. Right. People don't play sports don't as much as they, they don't go to movies, all of these things. So they there's, don't there's, play there's, in the backyard together. I mean, there you go. You know, you so, so, yep. So he's basically saying these students who are coming to us 
coming to us in our school, they're going to be different than the years before because they're growing up in this instant gratification, technology-based society. In the digital age, right? So it's our our responsibility to recognize that we need to increase the focus on social skills, empathy, and leadership. And that's what he says. People, yep. are gonna be, people are going to be more focused on technology, so we got to focus on social skills, empathy, and leadership. Right, because the kids have better tech skills than most adults do. So we don't need to teach them technology skills, right? I mean, they've already got those. They're coming with those. What we need to do is make sure they have right, the social skills, right, the social-emotional skills. And we need to figure out how to do schooling, how to do education in a way that doesn't create a toxic environment that leads to high stress and anxiety. Remember last week when I said I'm having to teach toddlers and preschoolers um, how to reduce anxiety because they're already so stressed out. So we're having to, our authors are having to write children's books, Be Is For mm-hmm. Free, which is a lovely book. But I'm like, why do we need this for our toddlers and for our preschoolers, right? Why are, why is everybody so stressed out? Um, because we talk about um, this, this toxic environment in education, unfortunately, because of grade inflation, it is now toxic even in preschool, right? It is absolutely um, a, a huge issue. So um, I, I, Mike said this last week, I, he probably says it every week, but when we do look at education reform in the United States, it's going to have to start with early childhood education. There's no point in trying to change high school. We have to start at the bottom and then slowly and gradually bring back play-based learning. We need to start integrating focus on executive function skills. We need to figure out how to have equity in education, right? And, and so there's so much work to be done, but we can't look at Finland and say we need to become Finland. That's never going to happen. The nope. United States is nothing like Finland at all. What nope. I hope you've learned from this book, though, is that we need to um, come up with some creative solutions and we need to stop focusing on the cognitive hypothesis. Exactly. And it, it's, you know, he, he really highlights it here. So the, the biggest thing that we've done in this country is when kids are their most vulnerable, when kids are, when kids are most dependent on yep. their environment and the adults around them is early childhood. And what we have done with the cognitive hypothesis and the capitalization of America. Oh, I, I forgot to tell you, I was driving up to my friend's house yesterday from Philadelphia to New York to okay. go watch to go watch the terrible New York Giants game. So I was, <laughs> I, was, I, was I was driving driving up and I passed the headquarters of Kumon, and it was one of the biggest buildings I have ever seen. I was driving and it's this huge skyscraper building, huge massive building, and it said Kumon on top. And I was like, hmm, there, there's the cog. I, I'm driving, and I think yep. there's the cognitive hypothesis at work. Really and fascinating. And parents are giving away their hard-earned money in an attempt to, you know, find a magic cure, right? Yep. Oh, you need to teach him his math. If you could just teach him his math, then he'll be fine in school. No, no, no. It's not about teaching an academic skill. That's what, remember one of the books we read, I don't even know, but it was something we've read recently. Um, it talked about we've been focusing on the wrong skills, right? I think that was from our first author where, where Paul Tuff was like, we've been focusing on the wrong things, right? In early childhood, why are we focusing on academics? What are we doing, right? Yep. We have to stop that focus. Um, and so I, I just, we know what the issues are. One of the big things that Finland has done so successfully is that we need educators to make policy, right? We need educators to be a big part of the conversation. And right now we don't have that in the United States. And so I think that is, um, you know, that's a problem because our government is so big 
and how in the world are we going to get in there and affect change? I still think this, any change we make is going to be a grassroots movement. It will come from the bottom. Absolutely. It's happening. It's happening right here on Monday nights. Yeah. This is where it's starting. This is the grassroots. Yeah. It's going to have to be grassroots. It absolutely. And that's why it's important that if you find this topic important, that you tell your friends and you tell your colleagues and that we continue to band together because um, there is no other way to affect change in an issue that is this big. Uh, yes. in, the, in the afterword, at the very end of the book, I did read a couple pages of it. Um, and I just, on page 205, this, this paragraph, Mike, it says, in country after country, the standards movement has narrowed curricula, dampened morale, lowered aspirations, heightened anxiety, and hampered achievement among students and teachers alike. The countries that have done well on the standards agenda are often paying a heavy price in a loss of creativity, innovation, and engagement in students. The very qualities on which personal, cultural, and economic vitality now depend. It's, there, this is it. And, and he, he says, so, so we talk about you know, the cognitive hypothesis and the global education reform movement. It has created this toxic environment where anxiety is increasing. And he says on page 199, uh, uh, we are seeing steadily weakening engagement and declining interest among young people. So basically we've created this environment that fosters anxiety, fixtures, uh, creates the fixed mindset and creates negative self-image where kids don't wanna learn and they don't wanna be challenged. So, so, and, and it's too hard. It's a growth yep. mindset, right? I don't like it. It's dumb. Yep. And they'll even say, I mean, one of the books you read said students say what I learn in school doesn't apply. It's not yeah. relevant. It doesn't yeah. apply in real life. So I hate yep. it. I hate going to school. It's dumb. I don't yep. want to do this homework. It's dumb. Right. So somebody's asking what the cognitive hypothesis is. Great question. Great question. It comes from our first book we read, how children succeed by Paul Tubbs. And he kind of coined the term. Let me try right? Uh, I think, I, I don't know if he coined it, but let me try to find his definition of it. So this yeah. was the first. So thank you so much for joining us. You know, this was our yeah. first book. This is only our second book. Yeah. And, and tonight's, tonight's the, the last chapter of the, of the second book. But, uh, but this is awesome. You know, it, it's so great to have a new person here that's joining yes. us and, and learning about this. So thank you so much. That, that makes me so happy. Um, let me try to find his Yeah, you try to find it. Basically, we'll, we'll let him find what he says. But the cognitive hypothesis is basically saying that academics matter more, more than anything else. That how smart you are. That it's about your IQ. It's about intelligence. It's about how smart you are. So the problem is we can have students who have good grades and who are smart but who don't have functional skills, who can't like make it. They drop out of college, they can't get and keep a job. So just because one can rote memorize facts and regurgitate it on a test does not make someone successful in life. Did you find so, what you were looking yep, for? So, so, so it's in, the, in the, the introduction of the book. So he basically says the cognitive hypothesis is the belief rarely expressed aloud, but commonly held nonetheless, is the belief that success today depends primarily on cognitive skills. And, and this is uh, the kind of intelligence that gets measured on IQ tests. Yep. So including the ability to recognize letters and words to calculate and to uh, detect patterns, that, it, that is the best way to develop skills. So there you go. This cognitive hypothesis, number one, has absolutely destroyed education and it has completely disintegrated 
early education and, and early childhood. Because what does every parent say? Like they come in, they bring their toddler in for a speech yep. and language evaluation. The child, yep. let's say, isn't talking or isn't talking very much. And the parent says, yep. well, he doesn't talk, but I know he's so, what do they say? He's so Gifted. smart. Yeah, every yeah. parent wants yep. to say, but he's smart because we have ingrained in our society that being smart is the most important thing to be. And what, and this is, this is a huge issue. Instead of looking at executive function skills, which are the higher level, um, prefrontal cortex skills of planning and organizing and uh, being able to um, self-regulate and control. You may want to yell at somebody. Um, I don't know if you watch football, but yesterday um, in the oh, yeah. game, the um, yep. uh, what's his name? Uh, Harrison couldn't uh, control his uh, behavior because he was upset yep. and he shoved yep. a coach and got yep. ejected from the game. Like yep. you can't reg you may want to punch someone. You may want to scream at somebody, but it doesn't mean you should have the self-regulation skills to go. I better walk away, right? I better take a deep breath and walk away. So um, those higher level skills are so important. Mike, one question that somebody scrolled by real quick, but I want to, I want to tackle it here. She said, what, and, what can I do tomorrow to, you know, help students? I want to affect change right away. And I'm just going to tell you that I, I was actually thinking about this before that person wrote that down. Um, and on page 205, uh, Passy actually talks about this. He says, um, my own work has focused on the importance of creativity in schools and on enabling students to develop their personal talents and passions. So what I'm going to tell you, this is something I talk a lot about in my social media posts, is stop trying to teach to the test. Stop trying to make them look better on uh, the next language test or the next, you know, whatever it is you're going to administer and start looking at the child's, the student's uh, interests and preferences, right? Start looking at what gives them their brain tingles. Start looking at what is it that they come in and they are so excited to tell you about. And if it's yep. car washes, that's yep. okay. We can write yep. about car washes. We can read about car washes. We can do sequencing about car washes. So instead of saying, I need to impart, and I read it to you earlier, where he said, instead of teachers imparting knowledge on students, right, which is what we think education is in this country, it's saying, oh, buddy, what are you interested in? What, right, what, what are you thinking about right now? And let's be creative. Here, let me give you um, I work with, you know, toddlers and preschoolers. Let me give you these cups and let's let's play with them in a different way. Let's not stash them or nest them. Let's figure out something else to do with them. That is how we can foster creativity. We can help children learn to use the right side of their brain and think outside that proverbial box. And I'm telling you, if you want to affect change tomorrow when you go to work, okay, or tonight when you get off this uh, live and you want to go hang out with your kid for a half hour before they go to bed, allow creativity. Bring back Tinker Toys and Lincoln Logs and Legos that don't have um, uh, directions, right? Because when it's directions, it's adult directed. That's left brain. That's not right brain. That's yep. not creativity. So uh, if you want to know how to affect change, be creative. Go outside and collect sticks and rocks and then make a mosaic design. I don't know, but get up out of your chair, right? Stop trying to force information into the brain and have yep. it regurgitated. That is not learning. Okay, um, so that's how, if I were going to say how to affect change right away, that's what I would say. And absolutely, wordless picture books. How's that, Mike? Absolutely. <laughs> there, there you go. So there's only a certain amount of people that come into our presence every day that we have the ability to inspire and to change. Uh, and I did that. I was inspired by Carrie in these chapter chats where I started taking my therapy sessions outside and out into the community. There was only so much I can do within the confined walls of my tiny little clinic. Right. I had I had to go out into the community and I, I went to all these incredible places. And it was and, so fascinating and to it was, you this summer. Yeah, I mean, every yeah. time we 
when you would post all your your clients out there in the community and i was just like and these are like middle school high school age is what they look like to me yep, you know yep. some of the pictures you posted and you're going bowling and you're going to museums and you're going to coffee shops and i'm like this is life. If you want kids to learn life skills, you have to go out into the world to learn life skills, right? Exactly. You don't learn life skills in a therapy room. And you don't learn a lot of life skills sitting in a classroom. And that's why so much of Finnish education is in outdoor classrooms. I mean, they take, because teachers have autonomy, they just go outside. They go places. Oh, we're learning about World War II. You know what? Right here in Kansas City, we have the World War II Museum. Why wouldn't I take mm. my students? Let's go. Let's mm. go sit on the... The, the courtyard at the World War II Museum and let's really talk about war. Do you know what I mean? Like um, uh, project-based learning and hands-on yep. learning and yep. outdoor learning and talking about interests and passions. And I mean, if you don't follow me on social media, every Sunday I, I, I just talk about my autistic son and he is the coolest kid. And I mean, his deep interest is wild animals and he loves to share information about it. And it has helped him so much because every Sunday he tells me what he wants me to put in a post, but it has forced him to really think logically to put things in order. I mean, it's amazing how he can take his deep interest and it is building just amazing language skills and sequencing skills. And he is so excited every week. He's like, mom, what animals should I tell your friends about this week? And so like uh, a couple nights ago, I, I did a poll and I said, what do you want to learn about? Yeah, animals? yeah, yeah. Or chameleons. Yeah. And everybody yeah. picked hippos. So Aaron's like, okay, I'm going to teach your friends about hippos next week. I mean, he's so excited about it. And this is one of the advantages of living in the digital age. Some yep. of the things yep. that my son and I can do together to build language, it's not just him telling me about animals. Now we're creating posts together, right? And he is so excited about it. So and that and yeah, there you go. Their interest and their passion and go with that. You will make you will affect change in just amazing ways. And that was you thinking outside the box. That's Find my specialty, Mike. There you go. It's why I'm self-employed because I don't fit in a box yep. that an agency wants me to fit in. I never yep. did well working for an agency because they're like, oh, you need to do it this way. And I'm like, yeah, but I think this student would do better this way. And they're like, no, 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 that's not how we roll here. And I'm like, well, then I can't work here because I need to be able to individualize every single therapy session for what the child needs okay not what we uh can provide in the most cost effective or time effective way so i don't play well with others which is why i'm self-employed because <laughs> i am here for the children only that's really all i care about and of course coaching parents but um i'm not good with red tape which is why i think i struggle so much with our education system yeah and and it, here here we have a great comment my animal-loving son loves the posts. He was asking when the next post is. Every, well, yeah, and, and Aaron does, he just started this about five weeks ago, so at least once a week. Uh, maybe we'll get to where we do it every Saturday. We seem to have the most time on Saturdays. So okay. I'll tell Aaron that there was a request that we do it the same day every week, so maybe maybe Saturdays because he, uh, he really looks forward to it, and he uh, has all of his books on animals. They're stacked so high, and he, um, for a kid who doesn't like to read, um, he will read it anything about animals and i mean anything. amazing okay, they're so amazing take so their th passion take their interest and run yep with it. so so the question was what can i start doing now and you know we talked about it before how we need some neurodivergent out outside the box okay. thinking people you know one thing we learned from our first book and our second book is the cognitive hypothesis and the global education reform movement has really made education look like the American office place. Office space, where, like going uh, to a cubicle, right? You're, you're checking in, you're doing your work, you're checking Walking out. In. No one's asking you for, no one's asking you for ideas. 
No one's asking you for your opinions. You're typing away at your, at your expense reports. You're typing away. You clock out and you leave. And, 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 and you dread coming back yep. the next day. Yep. And, and those jobs do nothing for your health. Those yep. jobs do nothing for you as an individual. They do nothing and for they your certainly don't. They, your mental yep. health. And they yep. do nothing to make you feel good about yourself. Remember and that's, people. that's, there you go. As long as there's joy in learning, yep. students will always love to learn. But when there you, you insist on plucking the joy out of learning so that we can force feed academics, so that we can focus on this cognitive hypothesis, so we can hurry up and teach to the test because the teacher's paycheck depends on, right, these test scores. When we have pay-based accountability, there will be no joy in teaching. And so the good, the, the, the people, the, the, Greatest teachers are going to start leaving the field. Many already have because they say, I got into teaching to teach students, not to, um, you know, take data and, um, you know, teach to some test twice a year. So um, we better figure this out because we are going to struggle getting high quality teachers if we don't start respecting and valuing the, the teaching profession. And I know we talked about this last week. But we also must remember, and this author brings this up multiple times in this book, that in Finland, they do not allow just anybody into the teaching profession. Um, mm -hmm. Teaching is one of the most highly regarded, highly respected uh, professions in the entire country. And uh, you can't just become a teacher. That is not a thing in Finland. You have to apply, and they take the best of the best of the best. And it is not just based on grades. Let's be clear about that, because they do not focus on the cognitive hypothesis. They are looking for certain personalities. One of our listeners, she is either from Finland or went to school in Finland, and I don't know if she's on tonight, but she said that one of her friends has applied to um, the university to be a teacher like four times, and, and after the fourth time of being denied, they said, you're just not what we're looking for. Basically telling him, just stop applying because your personality is not uh, a fit for this. What is the teacher pay like in Finland? Um, I would like to say that it's a lot higher. It is not a lot higher than here in the United States. But what is- But based uh, on their cost of living, it is. Yeah, but what, what, what is higher is they are getting so much more support. Yep. They are getting so much more collaboration. They have autonomy and they are so highly respected. Um, and there are bonuses. Uh, they were talking, the author did talk a little bit about bonuses based on, you know, not how well your kids score, nothing like that, but how well you um, collaborate with others. And you know what I mean? How well you fit in. So um, it's hard to say, um, you know, they don't come right out. He did give a number, but you know, that was yeah. eight years ago. Yeah. So there's no way to know um, exactly. But I would love to tell you, oh, they make more than doctors. No, that's not true. But I will tell you, they're more highly respected than doctors. They're more mm -hmm. highly respected than attorneys, mm -hmm. more highly respected than architects. And you can't say that in this country. Teachers, unfortunately, this field is not highly respected or highly valued. And I think this author pointed out that it's because there's a trust issue. People don't trust school boards. People don't trust administrators. Yep. So when you have a trust issue, how are you going to be a respected profession? So um, this book gave us a lot to think about. Wouldn't you agree, Mike? Yeah. And, and how about this comment here? So, so someone had commented, kids don't move or speak often in their classroom. So that comment right there, as soon as I read that, that comment speaks volumes Volume. think, that think about that in Finland, so, I assure you of that. no because in education students should talk more than teachers yes. when it is flipped when the teacher yes. is doing all the talking it's the what's your model mike it's the 
listen. Lecture, listen. Lecture, listen, mom. Yep. That is not yep. the finished way. Isn't that the name of this book? Oh, finish lessons. But the finished way is not lecture, listen. Okay. It is about doing. It is about talking. It is about collaborating. It is about working together. It is about creating and it is about innovating. And maybe what we need is a new, um, Oh, what do you call it when you start a business? You have like a statement, a mission statement. Maybe yep. we need a new a mission business plan. statement. You know, yep. I would love to make that. Let's have homework for our next week, you guys. Everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. Come up with a one-line mission statement for what education should be in the United States. Yeah, like, type, you know, type it right now. What are we about? Let's hear it. I, you too. You come yeah. up with a mission statement. Okay. I'll come up with a mission statement. But I will tell you, it should include words like creativity and innovation, right, and collaboration. That is such an important piece. And I... I just don't see it in, in our current education system. Exactly. So, so, the, so earlier the question was, what can I do now? Number one, think outside the box and make sure that the education environment does not look like the workplace. If you're a speech pathologist, take your sessions outside, find new ways, no more, no more printouts from Teachers Pay Teachers, right. no, more, no more sitting at that, that U-shaped you know, oh, the kidney shaped uh, table. The, ki the kidney shaped table. No more of that. Find new ways. If you're a parent, find ways to make sure your child has more non screen based experiences. Varied experiences. Varied experiences. Right? My favorite question yep. is how many non screen experiences has your child had today? We can ask adults the same question because yep. if you have a headache, if you're stressed out, if you're overeating, if you're, you know, whatever's going on that you want to complain about, ask yourself, how many non-screen experiences have I had today? How much time have I spent getting some vitamin D? How much time have I spent outdoors, right? For every 45 minutes I sit at my computer, am I spending 15 minutes outside? I mean, those are the kind of things we have to get back to what human beings are made for. We're made for socialization. We're made for movement. We're not made for sitting. We're not made for sedentary lifestyle. That is not yep. how human beings are healthy. Both especially body kids health and mental health especially babies yeah so oh, so yeah. so so here so here so that's what you can start doing right away if you're an educator or a parent there's things you can do yep. long term share the good word about chapter chat invite yep. your friends and family to the monday chapter chats show yep. them the podcasts on spotify and apple you know yes. we, we it's on your education yep. chapter Edu chat. education chapter chat yep yep so that's the biggest thing is get people involved. We're moving on to this book next week. I'm so sad this book is over. I was yeah. thinking about it. I never would have even known this book existed if it was not for Chapter Chat. And I'm, yep. sure, the, and I'm sure the same goes for all those people out there that read Finished Lessons and, and a Chapter Chat t-shirt. There oh, we go. I can make those. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Spread them out. I'm I telling, love it. I'm I, love tell, it. I am telling you guys, reading this book was just fascinating to me it was and, and like mike and i both said we have all these like uh reference books on our shelves but we get so busy and caught up just with our family and with our business and everything we're both self-employed and we're like gosh we sure would like to read these so mike and i met yep. online we've never met in person and uh we just really recognize that we think a lot alike you know even though he works with older kids and i work with infants and toddlers like it's just crazy that we can mesh so well but we saw all the books that we have on our shelf and we were like, um, maybe we need to like do a book club. So yeah, it's been really cool. And it's been amazing. And obviously we're gonna, we're gonna keep this going. And this is not just a book club for fun. This is the grassroots movement for change. That's what we want. Chapter I've chat, been, this is it. It's starting, it's starting here, people. Monday, Monday nights, 8 yeah. p.m. Eastern. This is the grassroots movement. We are highlighting what the problem is yep. and we're, we're gonna keep this up 
And every single person who attends, we're starting with these mission statements that we're going to do next week, you know, and we're going to keep every single book and fit our, 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 fir our first book highlighted the problem. Our yep. second book gave us some hope. Okay, so next week, Mike, I'm looking here at our new book. It is called Most Likely to Su Succeed by Tony Wagner. Um, and maybe it's another co-author, Ted Dintersmith, but it's Most Likely to Succeed. Yep. So this is what it looks like. Um, hopefully, I didn't check, but hopefully there's an audible you know, story. Some people like to listen to it as they're driving. If you don't have time to read it, the good news is, Mike and I read it for you. And then yep, we yep, will yep. do an overview. So, Mike, I'm looking at the next book. There's an introduction. It's a few pages long. And then there's millennial interviews. Mm. I'm wondering if we just don't do up to page 18 and then kind of do And then because if we do chapter one, two, it's going to be like 50 pages of reading. And that's a lot for me. <laughs> yeah, anyway. let's do that. Let's let's, let's do, do let's do the intro and the interview and the interview. And, so we're and we can and we can all share our mission statements. Yes, everybody's going to come with a mission statement next week. You're going to tell at least two friends or colleagues about chapter chat. We're going to try to chapter chat for change. So get more more people nice. engaging. Um, so here is our book. We look forward to seeing you next Monday and every Monday after that. And if you can't join us, make sure to listen on Spotify or Apple podcast. Thanks Chap so much. Mike. Chapter chat awesome. for change, baby. That's right. I love Mondays. <laughs> Mondays rule. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. You guys are awesome. Good night.